0: Hi, it's May 5th, and you are listening to New Mexico and Focus, the podcast. I'm Laura Pascas, senior producer for Our Land, New Mexico's environmental past, present, and future. So, 2023 was a grim year in the New Mexico legislature when it came to action on climate change. Lawmakers passed very few bills, and those that did pass They were vetoed by Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham, a Democrat. Last week, I sat down with the leaders of three nonprofits for a conversation about what went wrong and why. We also talked about why climate action never rises to the top of the political agenda, even in a blue state like New Mexico, where the public clearly wants politicians to move on climate change. Here's that conversation. We are here today to talk about climate change and politics. We've got Julia Bernal, executive director of the Pueblo Action Alliance, Mm -hmm. Camilla Feibelman with the director of the Rio Grande Chapter of the Sierra Club, and Eric Schlenker Goodrich, executive director of the Western Environmental Law Center. Welcome.
1: Thank
0: you. So it seemed like there was momentum on climate change ahead of the legislative session this year, but it ended up being another really disappointing year for climate action in the New Mexico
2: legislature. In a nutshell, Camilla, what went wrong this year? Well, it's similar to what's gone wrong the last three years in a row that we've tried to bring comprehensive climate legislation. We were presented with a drastically weakened bill by the governor's office at the beginning of the session, asked to support it and offered some stronger ways forward, but we're told that there wouldn't be a bill if we weren't going to support the one that was there. So we took a different path of trying to push forward five different climate tax credits that were to the credit of House and Senate leadership included in the comprehensive tax package and then were part of a big line item veto in that bill by the governor and that amounts to zero action on climate in this legislative session, even though there was good news in many other realms, even in the environment, just not on the climate
0: yeah so I'm interested in kind of what are some of those behind the scenes conversations that happen leading up to this session who's talking who's who's making these things happen or not happen?
1: I think one of the one way to think about it is over the course of governor the governor's leadership overall in her first term and now into her second term. I think in the first term, she did exercise leadership in terms of promulgating pioneering methane rules, both through the Oil Conservation Division and the New Mexico Environment Department. She also passed the Energy Transition Act, which is helping in the San Juan Basin both to retire coal-fired power, but then to also put money on the ground for communities to transition away from their dependency on fossil fuels. I think one of the things that we are thinking about at the Western Environmental Law Center is what is the governor's agenda on climate in her second term, and does she even have one I think there's a sense that she checked the box on the methane rules, she checked the box on the Energy Transition Act, and she in fact doesn't have an agenda on climate action for her second term and when i think about what the reason is for that i think it's the entrenched power of the oil and gas industry and an unwillingness of state political leadership starting with the governor to truly challenge that power and to position new mexico for the future to really open new doors for a thriving resilient future that isn't contingent on the volatility of oil and gas revenue which ultimately is going to go away
0: right so let's talk about that a little bit because the fact that we are an energy producing state and we're seeing impacts of climate change how do we decouple oil and gas from our economy how do we how do we rectify these two parts of us julia
3: well i thank you eric for what you had to say i feel like they're in in a sense like i feel like she does have an agenda where it's based on um supporting fossil fuels still and using, utilizing what are called you know, market-based mechanisms to allow the continuation of fossil fuel industries. Um, so appeasing to that constituency in New Mexico, because of course, we all know that New Mexico is very and severely addicted to fossil fuel revenues. But um, I feel like a lot of what grassroots, frontline, indigenous youth organizations are really looking to is how do we diversify our economy. How can we also stimulate the economy? Is that through like community solar grid projects? Is that by um, creating economies around remediation and care? I think that there's a lot of um, thinking behind um, what a truly um, equitable just transition could look like but um, it's not going to be a solution that is going to appease oil and gas industry or extractivism in general. So, that's, you know, I think the, the duality of this issue is that we all recognize that New Mexico is in severe need of just transition, but we can't do that while also um, bolstering the fossil fuel economy.
1: And if I, could, if I may, you know, what Julia says also reminds me that, in fact, maybe there is an agenda, and one of that part of that agenda is fossil gas, hydrogen. You know, it's interesting that on Friday, after the session she vetoed the five tax credits and then on the Monday, the next business day, that she then submitted through her agencies a $1.25 billion hydrogen hub proposal that very much was grounded in fossil gas hydrogen. And the way at least we think about hydrogen, and I suspect Julia echoes this, is that that is a way to perpetuate our dependency on oil and gas, not a way for us to transition away from that dependency and not a way to truly address climate action in support of frontline communities.
0: Right, so I feel like, you know, especially after a year like 2022, that was hard on many New Mexicans in climate-related ways. You know, people are sad, people are overwhelmed, they wanna do something. And I hear from people a lot who are worried about climate change. And I often say to them, talk to your elected officials, make sure your elected officials know that you care about climate, energy, water. And yet here we are in a state where we're not like Texas or Florida, our elected officials understand climate change, understand why it's happening, and yet it seems to me like Democrats will not deliver on climate action. What are the roadblocks? What are the barriers to this? Julia, do you have a sense?
3: Well, I think that there's there's a, I mean, and this is speaking from like a young person that hasn't been in this work as long as like Camilla or Eric and um, In theory, democracy and democratic process is like, you know, participation and like having the ability to talk to your um, political leaders and like see the debate out in the legislature. But what we're seeing is that a lot of these um, debates and topics are really dependent on relationships that people have whether that's with the governor, whether that's with um, organizations and their um, political leaders or legislatures um, and that I feel is also a deterrent for like forwarding like real climate action and real progress um, because there's a lot of political capital that I think a lot of folks are really trying to protect. Which, sure, I understand that like having relationships with people is a mechanism to like you know see your agenda go through the legislature. But like, let's have let's have the debate. Let's like see how democracy is supposed to work without you know getting in the way of um,
2: personalities or relationships. Mm-hmm. Oh, Camilla. Well, I'll just add a little bit. You know, I think after the governor vetoed those five tax credits, you saw an outpouring of grassroots community concern onto the opinion pages. Full pages of letters to the editor asking why in a year like last year where we saw massive fires at one point in every county in the state, generational homes burned, flooding as an after consequence, If we do not do something now, we are talking about agricultural collapse. We are talking about skyrocketing food prices. We are talking about leaving our kids an uninhabitable landscape. And I think that there was a calculation this year in the governor's office that she could cut the budget by cutting um, progress on climate through the tax package. And I think the clear answer from our grassroots all around the state is that that will not work. When it comes to those relationships, what we are doing is asking our members to reach out in a very personal way to their legislators. You know, we made some good progress in the legislature on um, banning the transport of high level nuclear waste here, finally getting a permanent fund for conservation efforts. And I think legislators more than ever are hearing from their constituents saying, you've got to do something hard. You know, we we did voting rights, we did gender affirming. Abortion care. Um, but when you're standing up against the well-moneyed oil and gas industry, it's going to be that much harder. But there is not a single dollar that comes into this state that can justify a kid's asthma attack, the health care that people have to get because of the impacts, not just of climate and on health. And we will work harder than ever, as we always have, a bit of Cassandra, you know calling on people to address this crisis. Um, But we will keep doing that and we will do it until we do something different. But it's gonna require a a transformational approach. We are gonna have to leave oil and gas. We are gonna have to say goodbye. And I think it's worth recognizing that no matter how well or poorly oil and gas are doing, it doesn't seem to change how well New Mexicans are doing. Those jobs are dangerous. People get burned and scarred from doing those jobs and so does our planet. So we have got to just keep coming back as disappointing as it might be as scary as it might be our kids deserve that we do not quit. I agree with
0: you and I don't understand how the potential for sort of planetary destruction doesn't rise to the top of people's political agendas but it it just feels to me like something needs to change because you know I started covering the environment in the Richardson administration and you know we went through mm-hmm. eight years of a Republican governor where bills weren't going to get introduced because she wasn't going to sign them. I I feel like what really needs to change and how we're approaching this. Eric? I think there's, there's a policy
1: answer and there's a non-policy answer. The <laughs> non-policy answer I think is what Julia was talking about in terms of relationships. I think one thing we're all thinking about is how do we build solidarity and power in the progressive sector? And so that it's not viewed as a stovepiped issue, but as an issue that's really about the future of New Mexico overall. This is the moment for us to act. What Governor Lujan Grisham does now, what the legislature does now in the coming year or two will dictate what New Mexico's future is 10 years from now, 20 years from now that's gonna be contingent on groups like ours organizing to counter the power of the oil and gas industry. Oil and gas industry provides a huge amount of money to politicians. It also provides a huge amount of uh, uh, revenue to the state, to the state coffers. And it is also the relationship that most political leaders are used to and comfortable with listening to the oil and gas industry, not listening to the people. So I think that is something that really needs to change. From a more policy technocratic perspective, it is really transitioning away from our dependency on fossil fuel revenue, while concurrently providing support for communities across the state especially in those oil and gas producing regions to be able to retrain their workers and move forward i think thinking back about this session that's one of the most frustrating things because there were bills to start building out a geothermal industry in new mexico that would be very consistent and supported by the conservation community and the climate community to help make that transition build new industries and we saw those bills and those tax credits also vetoed so i think right now what we're seeing is the governor essentially not leading including at the legislature and passing up what is otherwise an amazing opportunity to set the stage for New Mexico's future. That's just not happening right now.
0: Mm -hmm. Julia, you talked about relationships and kind of, you know, the way I was thinking about is sort of the the backroom deals between lobbyists and lawmakers. I wanna talk about the other kinds of relationships Mm -hmm. that we need to be building to be addressing climate change mitigation and adaptation. What are those types of relationships?
3: Yeah, so I mean we're, Pueblo Action Alliance we're an indigenous Pueblo organization. And so a lot of our campaign development and programs within our organization are really rooted in our values as Pueblo indigenous people. A lot of those values are also these relationships that we have with the natural world and with our communities. And, you know, in this bigger global conversation around climate mitigation and adaptation, it has been stated numerous times that indigenous traditional knowledge or traditional ecological knowledge is going, is going to be a mechanism to, you know, getting to those climate goals. And a lot of what indigenous groups across the world are trying to do is center that analysis because ultimately, if you're doing that, you're then starting to look at, you know, you're starting to look at the world differently, not as a resource, but as as an entity, as a living entity. That relationship that we have with the natural world is really a part of our analysis as climate activists or climate advocates, whatever, (laughs) whatever we call ourselves. Um, And, you know, I feel like that concept isn't always as intuitive, you know, to non-Indigenous people and may even seem a bit um, like nebulous or or not uh, grounded in anything that can be action oriented but ultimately it is you know and I think that's been a big challenge in um, participating in a legislature because ultimately a lot of the times when we're talking about water, land, resources we're talking about them as materials rather than like not like beings than um than our relatives and you know ultimately it's it's just a a challenge that we're constantly having to face but um again i just want to say that it is going to be very vital for the future to center those types of concepts and ideologies
0: so you all are with different organizations have different strategies and campaigns but i'd like for each of you just to you know very briefly What is the one mistake
2: you think New Mexico cannot make right now? Doing what we're doing right now, (laughs) you know, we really need a clear, comprehensive plan. 60% of the greenhouse gas emissions that we are emitting as a state come from oil and gas and industry. So we need to know that operating oil facilities are complying with the strongest rules. We need to know those are working, um, and we need to do more if they're not. And ultimately, just we need to keep it in the ground, or we will not create the future we need. But we also have huge emissions. Oh, you get one. Oh, what about
0: the cars, the buildings?
2: The hydrogen, there's I so know. much to do. It's so <laughs>
0: overwhelming. One thing we can't afford to not do right now. We,
1: we have a wealth of resources at the table in New Mexico in terms of state revenue. We have to make sure that that state revenue is directed to good things, not to bad things. In other words, don't direct that towards fossil gas, hydrogen. Direct that towards communities. Direct that to the build out of clean energy infrastructure, like geothermal, like wind, like sun and make use of that opportunity. And I think what's key here is create a sense of belonging amongst the people of New Mexico. Oil and gas industry should not dictate our energy future. The people should dictate our energy future.
3: Julia, one thing. Yeah, Eric kind of, that's going to transition (laughs) (laughs) to what I was going to say. I'll just add quickly that, you know, New Mexico is really unique in its diversity of traditional land-based people, whether that's indigenous people, acequia communities, and those type of community models around land and water stewardship are really going to be important for climate adaptation. And so it would be a huge mistake if those ideas and those models were ignored by the state.
0: Thank you all so much for being here today. I appreciate it. Our pleasure. Thank you. you. Thanks for listening. You can find Our Land all over the place on the PBS app, YouTube, and Instagram. Just search up Our Land New Mexico.